are living in an hour where we are dealing with a generation that is gripped more with the world system than they are gripped with the kingdom of God. We are losing per capita more church members than we are gaining. The uprise of divorce and children that are in trouble with the law. We are dealing with alcohol and drugs and pornography and all kinds of immorality inside the church system. And now we are looking at an hour where the church must cry out to God for an incredible gift of wisdom because without God's wisdom we cannot deal with the things that we are facing in this hour and the hour to come. We are dealing with people who now are gripped with fear because of the uncertainty that this world system now holds. The economic system is unstable. Our government is unstable. Our education system is being challenged in such an incredible way that it is very gripping to most parents to face the fact that if their children are not in Christian school or some kind of private school, there is a bombardment right now on children's minds to accept that which is not biblically sound. We are dealing with rejection in an incredible way because of the insecurities of what our society now faces, the insecurity of just uh, joblessness, the insecurity of coming events that now erupt in the world system to declare that Jesus is soon to return. There is a spirit of disappointment over many people as they go through many family situations that end up in divorce and crises with their children, unwed mothers that are now children having children. Uh, we just now got the latest statistics from the Family Service Department, and they now say that the first sexual encounter that children are having are from between the ages of 9 to 13. And so we are looking at a society that is bombarded with everything that declares there is no kingdom of God. The pain is incredibly emotionally and mentally with most people right now as we are looking for God to raise up something in such an incredible way. And in the midst of it, I believe this morning that God would minister to us out of the power of his word. It is incredible that God is not caught off guard. That is what I love about God because the church must face the coming events before his coming. We can rejoice about his faithfulness that he shall return and that he will come after a church, but there is also recorded in the word of God coming events that will happen that the church will not be taken out, but we must have the power and faith in God to go through. And so most of us do not like the process. We only like what it produces after it's over. But in the midst of it, now we are looking at a church that must know how to go through the process. We are facing the Christmas season where we as Christians proclaim that Jesus has come. It becomes very clear to us the words of Isaiah when he said in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, a child will be born to you and a son will be given. And the government shall rest upon his shoulders, and his name shall be declared Wonderful Counselor and Mighty God, Eternal Father and Prince of Peace. And there will be no end to the increase of his government or of his peace 
on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. And the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. I sometimes do not like to read the word of God because it does not say what I want to hear. Can I talk to you this morning? Because most of us look at one another like we love God's word. We only love God's word when it says what we are wanting to hear. But in the midst of it, at the end of Isaiah, it said the zeal of the Lord will accomplish this and he is called the Lord of hosts. The Lord of hosts is one who will rise up as a mighty warrior full of strength and zeal to accomplish that which he declared. And I declare to you this morning, he is coming after his church. For how can he conquer his enemies when he still is yet to conquer his church? Come on, God wants to conquer us. It is one thing for him to love us. It is another thing for him to conquer us. And this morning we have come because we love God and because God loves us. But now the Lord of the zeal of hosts will now accomplish something and he is called the Lord of hosts. He will fight a battle over us. This morning I just want to Holy Ghost ramble with you because my heart is really set upon this church because of my love for your pastor. So I want you to know this morning I raised nine kids, five, four of them were my own, five of them were street children that we brought in and out so there is no look a church person can give me that will scare the hell out of me. Can I, can I talk to you this morning? Because I've had every kind of look. That's what makes me bold in the Lord when I stand before the pulpit because church folk don't scare me. Come on, I, I just want to talk to you this morning that you can give me all the looks you want to and I'll just have flashbacks of my teenager and go, I lived through that and I can overtake you too. So this morning, I want to talk to us about the zeal of the Lord of the host. I, I, I love your pastors and I believe that they are set apart by God. I believe they have a heart and a compassion to establish the kingdom of God. The hardest thing is to deprogram church folk from church membership mentality and transfer them over into the kingdom of God because religious spirits do not understand the kingdom of God. And when you start talking about the kingdom of God, you can get a whole lot of church folk crossways. Talk about how, how many of you know that's true? Go on in a minute because every one of us have been crossways one time or another. And if you look at me and say you have never been crossways, I'm going to tell you, you lie, you fry. Cook them up. So this morning, I want you to know that God is coming after his church. There's an incredible zeal of the Lord to conquer his church this morning. The Old Testament is an incredible book. Most Christians love the New Testament, and I love the New Testament too. But I want to say to you, you will never understand the covenant of God in the New Testament if you do not understand the God of the Old Testament. Just because he established a new covenant through the blood of Jesus Christ, who he was in the Old Testament did not change. Come on, he is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. So in the book of Genesis, he's an incredible God. What I love about him is when he opens his mouth, he has something to say. That's how come I know some church folk ain't God. Oh, come on, I want to talk to you this morning. Because when he opens his mouth, he has something to say. Everything he created can, had a purpose. If it did not have a purpose, he would not create it. When he created the vegetable kingdom, the animal kingdom, the mineral kingdom, it had a purpose. And it had boundaries because he is the God of order. 
and he understands this principle. Until a thing is placed in order, it cannot fulfill purpose. Can I talk to you? Everybody can prophesy over you that you have purpose and destiny, but if your life is not in order, it will not come forth. Come on, because God can only work in the boundaries of order. That's why when the devil came into the garden, and isn't that amazing? Adam and Eve walked with God, but it did pull out of where they lived. Oh, I'm going to talk to you this morning. Come on. The serpent is right in the garden. Come on. Because God will not keep hell out of your life. You're supposed to do that as a believer. Come on. So hell walked right in the garden with Adam and Eve. And the whole plot of the serpent was to get them out of the boundaries of order because he understood this. As long as they stay in God's boundary, they will fulfill the dream of the Father. Can I talk to you this morning that he wants to conquer this church because the Father wants to fulfill his dreams. We have too much self-centeredness in the church that we want God to fulfill our dreams when we were created to fulfill his. Come on, God wants to fulfill his dreams. So he was put in the boundaries of protection so he would fulfill it. The enemy pulled him out. Now God, as he walks through the Old Testament, you find over and over again, he is trying to apprehend mankind to get them back in the boundaries. I found out it's easy to bless people, but you'll get people upset if you start talking to them about your life is out of order. Come on, how many of you know you can pack a coliseum as long as you're prophesying blessed, but when you start meddling... Come on, and I'm here to meddle this morning because I believe God wants to put order in this house in another level so you can fulfill purpose. In the midst of it, now we are looking at the book of Genesis because it's incredible. God dealing with mankind and all of the covenants he cut and he found that man had the inability, inability to fulfill them. And so now he will come through the blood of Jesus Christ because he finds this truth out until I swear by myself it will not come to pass. How many of you understand that God is not a liar? Can we, can we amen that this morning? Amen. You may be caught in a lie. Just smile so nobody will know who it is. Come, come on. <laughs> you may be caught in a lie, but you will never catch God in a lie. And God wrapped himself around himself so that he could fulfill this thing. Now we are looking at the book of Exodus, and isn't it incredible? We are still not catching on that until the blood is in your house, you will find death all around you. Can I talk to you? It is not enough to raise your hands on Sunday morning. You better let hell see you raising them Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, come on, Friday, Saturday, and the blood better be put over your household. I used to tell my kids, you can do anything you want, but if it's not what I want you to do and not what God wants you to do, you will fear death before I get through with you. <laughs> I used to tell my kids, I can make you fulfill a, a profession you never thought you were interested in. I can make you an astronaut to see stars, moons, <laughs> planets, uh, 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 things that you never, I can do it, I can do it. And I made a believer out of some of them, and they are still living. Come on, because I found this out. I never whipped my children. I whooped them. Come on, because I wanted them to understand unacceptable behavior. Come on, you can act like a fool when I'm not around, but when I am around, you better not be acting like a fool. Come on, in the midst of it, now God is going to come down and deal in the book of Exodus because it's foolish to live in bondage and not believe you need a deliverer. 
Oh, come on. Because how would I say this morning, if you are born again, you need a deliverer. Come on. He just saved you to position you so he could free you. Come on. And they had to mark the blood over the household door so that when the death angel came, I would have said this morning, if there is a death assignment over you, if there is a death assignment over your health, if there is a death assignment over your finances or your children or your marriage or, or, or your employment, it will never change with you just confessing. you got to go home and mark the blood and declare that the life of God can break the curse of death. So come on, he can break curses of death. And in the book of Leviticus, they learned to worship him. Can I talk to you this morning? You'll never be a worshiper until you've been delivered. Come on, what makes you worship is not because you're saved. Come on, there's a whole lot of saved people attending church this morning that didn't worship. Uh, Come on. But when you know he set you free, when you know that it was something in your life you couldn't deliver yourself from, when you know I couldn't have got out of it, he hadn't come after me, when you knew that your strength was gone, but he became your strength, that's what makes you worship him. That's what makes you rise above the situation and say, there is no one like God. And I'm here this morning to declare that there needs a new atmosphere of worship over the church that we know that we have been delivered by the blood of the Lamb, not just saved by the blood. Leviticus made them worship and Numbers made them know how to enter into warfare. This morning, I just want to ramble with you. I want to talk to you this morning out of the abundance of the heart of my Father. I want to talk to you out of where we are and what needs to be happening. I want to talk to you out of the book of 1 Kings. I want to take you in and set you down in 1 Kings and I want you and I to understand that there was a time in society where God had to apprehend a man and impute and impart to him what is called the gift of wisdom. And I found out that you can desire a thing from God, but you will miss the mark if you do not have wisdom. Come on, you can be in a conflict in your marriage and not want it to end up in divorce. You can be in a conflict in your marriage and not want strife and all the kinds of anger and things that happen and tension in the marriage, but you will miss the mark even not wanting it and wanting God to change it if you do not have wisdom. You can want godly children and mark them for the kingdom of God and lay hands on empty heads and pray and shake them around and believe that their brain will overrule their hormones. Are you okay this morning? Hallelujah. And believe that their brain will overrule their hormones. But listen, if you do not have wisdom, can I talk to parents this morning? You are incapable of parenting your children without God's wisdom involved. Come on, I don't care how good a parent you want to be. Good isn't going to hack it in this society. You've got to be a godly parent. Amen. Come on, you can't settle for a good marriage. You've got to have a godly marriage. Amen. And in the midst of it, you want to be out of debt and just declare, God, I promise I'll never do it again. Aren't you glad that we don't have the New Testament church because he'd strike some of us dead? <laughs> come on, I promise I'll never do it again. Walk right out and do it. Come on. But without godly wisdom... So in the midst of it, we are looking at 1 Kings this morning. It speaks clear and loud to me where I am right now. I believe that his name still is Jehovah Rapha, the Lord God that can heal me. And yet I have been in an incredible battle since July. 
I've been in and out of the hospital. I've been in and out of every doctor, every test. You, you just will not believe what I have been through since July. And yet God has not seen fit to heal me. And yet I believe he could heal me in an instant. But how many of you know healed without a brain won't produce what God wants? <laughs> Come on. How many of you know God will allow us to go through some things? Come on, I love it when God takes us out. Come on, when God said, you so dumb, I'm taking you out. How many of you know? It ain't because he loves us. He said, oh, I'll lose them. I got I to gotta deliver them again. Come on, pick us up and deliver us out of that thing. And yet in the midst of it, there are some things you have to go through. Why? Because when you go through, God not only apprehends the situation, he's forced you to cry out to him. How, how many of you know? When he won't do it instantly, that's when we cry to the Lord. Cry. Come on, we'll cry out to we the Lord. I'm telling you, oh God, oh God. I was in church service the other day, and I, uh, I was down at the altar. We've had to cancel most of our meetings, and I've just been in such pain. I've been in the bed. I can't move. And so we've canceled most of our meetings since July. And I was down at the altar, and I like to call it praying, but it really is Holy Ghost whining. Like, oh, God, here I am, and we've canceled all these meetings and all the finances, and God, we can't pay the bills. How many of you know you give God a readout as though he does not know what's going on? And I'm just snotting and crying and telling him all this. And in the midst of it, I feel this little hand, and it pats me on the shoulder. It's my little nine-year-old grandson. He's patting me. And, and I thought, isn't that sweet? He just, he's going to pray for his nana. And I was just crying and, and bellering to God and complaining. And finally, he just had it. I mean, it, it, he just had it. And so he just, he just took his little hands off and got a hold of my cheeks and turned my head up and said, Listen, nana, get a grip. Jesus is still Lord. <laughs> I got my price tag. That's mini pearl. Hallelujah. <laughs> Darn it, I wanted to look good. So that's a woman for you. So in the, in the midst of it, I, I want us to hear that, that First Kings was written to Israel. And it was written to the human race because it was written in a time when there was civil decline and there was moral decline and there was spiritual decline. What I want you and I to hear this morning is when a nation begins to decline spiritually, morally and it begins to decline in its civic arena it will affect spiritual thermometer of a nation so we are having a moral decay in our in our nation right now we were faced with the issue of same-sex marriages and i want to tell you that is not over yet can i tell you that is not over yet because a homosexual community has an agenda to force your children to accept it, and once they accept it, then hell can come in and make them realize that you don't have to live under a false standard. We are living in an area where our morals are being challenged. We are horrified, or I am horrified because I'm old enough, I am horrified to think that we had a president, Mr. Clinton, in the White House who had oral sex in the Oval Office and society said that they did not believe it was intercourse. Give me a break. Yeah. Can I talk to you this morning? And yet most Christians were not horrified with it and most Christians didn't fall down on their knees and pray because Mr. Clinton made this statement, I can be a good president even if you do not agree with my morals. 
How can you be a good president when you can't even keep yourself together in moral issues? Come on, and yet we're not praying. We are challenged this morning in our civic arenas in such a way that the laws are being rewritten, and now we have taken God out of prayer out of the schools, now we are looking at it with the Pledge of Allegiance to the United States. Now we are looking at an agenda to take it off the world money currency, that it will no longer be on our currency, in God we trust. And yet no Christians are at the altar praying. Can I talk to you? Because when Christians blend with society, they won't bend their knees in prayer. Come on, the world system is affecting us more and more every day. And 1 Kings was written in a critical time just much like what our nation is facing. The northern kingdom and the southern kingdom was divided and it was written to teach them that you cannot live your life and you cannot have a society that will last any length of time if you do not observe who the Lord is. We are looking right now at the fact that they removed the Ten Commandments out, out, out of uh, Judge uh, Moore's office, and most of us did not even fringe about that. Most of us didn't even pray about it. Listen to this. This is incredible to me. Uh, the following poem is written by me. You probably will not know me. Maybe you do. It really doesn't matter. My name is Judge Roy Moore from Alabama, and I was sued by the ACLU for displaying the Ten Commandments in the courtroom foyer. And I've been stripped of judgeship, and now they're trying to sue me and strip me from the right to practice law in the state of Alabama. I was woken during the night, and the Holy Spirit apprehended me, and I wrote the following words. America the beautiful, or so you used to be, land of the pilgrim's pride, I'm glad they'll never see. Babies piled in dumpsters and abortion on demand. Oh, sweet land of liberty, your house is on the sand. Our children wander aimlessly, poisoned by cocaine, choosing to indulge their lust when God has taught sustain. From sea to shining sea, our nation turns away from the teaching of God's love and the need to always pray. We've kept God in our temples, but how callous we have grown when earth is but his footstool and heaven is his throne. We voted in government that's rotten at the core, appointed godless judges who throw reason out the door. Too soft to place a killer in a well-deserved tomb, but brave enough to kill a baby before it leaves its mother's womb. You think that God's not angry and that our land's a moral slum? How much longer will he wait before his judgment comes? How are we to face our God in whom we cannot hide when there is left for us to do but turn this evil tide? Then God will hear from heaven and forgive us of our sins. He'll heal our sickly land and those who live within. But America the beautiful, if you don't, then you will see a sad but holy God withdraw his hand from thee. I don't know about you, that is very sobering to me. And I bring it to you at Christmas time, the time when it is a time for us to rejoice and be joyful. But I bring it to you because I want you to see that what we celebrate as Christmas is not what we are participating in. 
that there ought to be something inside of us that makes our joy full because we know that God is involved in the civic arena and he's involved in the moral arena and he is involved in our spiritual arena. In the midst of it, it is written to warn us that judgment will come in the book of Kings unless we turn and repent. It is to point out a nation will go into exile if it does not have God in its rightful place. If you study history, you will find that no nation existed more than 400 years without having internal problems when God was not in his rightful place. It is to show that a nation is not successful if it does not obey God's word and if it does not reject all false worship and if it does not be governed with compassion and justice and righteousness that can only come through the gift that we are celebrating at this Christmas season because he is the righteous one and he is the one that gives compassion and he is the one who can judge justly. There is no justice without God's involvement. There is no justice in the just judistic system. There is no justice in the church system. Church leaders and believers will have their feelings hurt and will leave the church because we cannot rule justly without the just king in his rightful place in our life because discernment is not what I perceive by facts, but discernment is what does God have to say about the matter? In the midst of it, this morning, I want to encourage you. Just turn around to someone and say, we hope so. Hallelujah. I, I, I want to I encourage you this morning that God uses incredible people who do not have it together. Can you turn around and look at someone and say, that qualifies you? Come on, that does not have it together. Come on, that qualifies all of us. The next time you feel that God cannot use you, would you please just remember this? Noah was a drunk. Abraham was too old. Isaac was a daydreamer. Jacob was a liar. Leah was ugly. Joseph was abusive. Moses had a stuttering problem. Gideon was afraid. Samson had long hair and was a womanizer. Rahab was a prostitute. Jeremiah and Timothy were too young. David had an affair and was a murderer. Elijah was suicidal. Isaiah preached naked. Jonah ran from God. Naomi was a widow. Job went bankrupt. Peter denied Christ. The disciples fell asleep at the prayer meeting. Martha worried about everything. Mary Magdalene, well, you know what? She was in bed with every man. The Samaritan woman was divorced more than once. Zacchaeus was too small. Paul was too religious. Timothy had an ulcer. And Lazarus was dead. Now, I don't know about you, but that encourages me this morning that God can come and apprehend something and turn it but not without his wisdom. So this morning, my cry for you, if I could present you with a Christmas present, wouldn't be something that I could purchase in the most expensive department store. It would not be handing you a million-dollar check if I was even able to do that. My gift to you this morning was to make you and I understand that when Jesus came, the spirit of wisdom was upon him and that he became the spirit of wisdom and that the 
33 and a half years that he walked the earth, there was a wisdom that was in his life that made him move in and out and not miss his purpose. Come on. Even when people did not believe he was who he said, he still fulfilled his purpose. Even when they wanted to kill him, he still fulfilled his purpose. Even when they said that he was full of demons, he still fulfilled his purpose. And the reason he fulfilled his purpose wasn't just because he was Christ. It was because he had a relationship with his father that kept imputing and imparting to him wisdom that overrode the wisdom of man. Can I talk to you this morning that we are fixing to go through troubled times in America and the church will not make it without the wisdom of God. Come on, we must have that gift from heaven. And it is rightfully ours this morning. There is not one believer here this morning that God does not want to give you and I the wisdom that comes from above. I don't know about you, I've lived long enough that I wished I could go back with this brain I have and do it again. Come, come on, I would not want to go back with a teenager brain. Come on, I wouldn't mind the teenager body. Come on, because us that are my age know there ain't nothing high and lifted up anymore. Come on. I just like to go back with something high and lifted up, but a brain that is 66 years old. Come on, because I would know not to do certain stuff that I did at 16. Oh, y'all look at, don't make me come and prophesy over you what you were doing when you were 16 years old. We need the wisdom of God this morning. And the Bible, Isaiah, said that he would be a wonderful counselor, not just a counselor. I have a degree in counseling, and I worked for the juvenile probation office, office for a number of years. I sat with many families and counseled them with the skills that the books gave me and the education gave me. But there were some things when you got down to the very root and core of it, you could not untangle it because the mind of a man cannot untangle what hell has knotted. Can I, can I talk to you? You, 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 may get, you may get the symptoms dealt with. Come on, you may be able to look at the facts, but when hell has knotted something, the mind of man cannot unknot it. You need the wisdom of God that is greater than the wisdom of Satan that came on the backside and knotted that thing and tied it down and held it we, we call it in biblical terms in the New Testament, a stronghold. Talk about where there's something strong and you can't break through and you can't get through and your kids can't get through and your finances and your health can't get through. And you need the wisdom of God that can come and break a stronghold and untie a knot. And we are celebrating this incredible Jesus this morning. It is one thing to declare that that's what he is. It's another thing to accept it. It's another thing, though, to receive it. I need a wonderful counselor full of wisdom this morning. I need someone that can unravel where I am in my life and the knots that I've not been able to break through and the things that hinder me when I know my purpose is there and I'm pushing with all that I've got, but there's something hindering me. And as I push, I feel like I'm going back and forth. I need a wonderful counselor that comes and says, stand still and see the salvation of God. That can untie that and unknot it. In the midst of it, First Kings, 
It's this incredible book this morning that you and I are looking at. Let me just tell you that God is going to come to a man called Solomon. It's amazing when a society gets in a mess, God looks for a man. Can I talk to you this morning? Who will be free until you come? Come on, because there's somebody wanting to be free, but they can't get free until we come with the freedom that God has made real in our life. God gets a hold of Solomon. I love his name. It means peace. In God wise, Solomon had 700 wives. No wonder the man needed peace. <laughs> stupid to think, stupid to think 700 wives, whatever man here knows, you can't even keep one happy. Oh, I better have some godly men that amen me. Come on, we're going to line y'all all up and pray over you. Come on. It's hard to keep one woman happy. Come on, in 700. Solomon had 700. God's going to get a hold of this man and apprehend him. God's going to do something with him. Can I tell you, at Christmas, we apprehend a lot of stuff. We apprehend debt. We apprehend presents. We apprehend celebrations and parties. We apprehend it and participate in it. But this morning, the greatest gift we can give God is for him to be able to apprehend you and I and impute to us when we leave this service a spirit of wisdom. Activate that wisdom that's already in us because Jesus is the spirit of wisdom. In the midst of it, it is a challenge because God is going to have to come and, and he is going to have to strengthen them. Our nation is weak right now, church. And the only person that can strengthen our nation is the church. Come on. Because the government cannot strengthen our nation where it is. It is going to take an impartation from the church. Come on. Our nation is weak right now militarily. I was up in Washington, D.C. in January. It's amazing where God can get you. I mean, I was up on the Capitol Hill and walking around wondering how in the world I got here. Isn't it amazing God can get you where he wants you and then make you scratch your head and say, what, how did that happen? So come on, because see, I want to talk to some people. There's some places God wants to take you, but he has to apprehend you to get you there. Come on, there are places that God wants to take you to stand before kings and stand before people of influence. Come on, stand before your next-door neighbor. Come on, stand before the community. In the midst of it, I was talking, and they said, right now, if our nation goes into a full cage war, we are militarily weak. Come on, militarily we are weak. Can I talk to you this morning? You know why we're military weak? Because God wants us to understand your victory doesn't lie in your army. Come on, God took 300 of Gideon's army and won a victory over thousands of Philistines. Come on, but he wanted them to understand your victory isn't in the number. Your victory is that God is marching with your army. Come on, only the church can put God back in the army. I was sitting in the airport talking to a, a man that is a policeman for a number of years flying to uh, uh, Nashville, Tennessee on the plane that I was fixing to get on going to say goodbye to his son 
who's fixing to go to Iraq, 19 years old, tears rolling down his cheeks, a policeman for a number of years. You could tell that, that he had been through a lot, 40-something years of police service, and he said, I fear for my son. He's 19 in body, but his emotions are not ready to kill. In the midst of it, only the church can give strength and impute it to an army. Only the strength of the church can turn the economical system. Only the strength of the church can move in and change the spiritual uh, uh, temperature of this nation. The fastest growing religion right now in the United States is Muslim. Come on, did you hear me? It's Muslim. You know why? Because they put their pocketbook where their mouth is. Come on, they're doing it. They're not just preaching it. Come on, they're infiltrating our prisons and getting converts and, and, and making sure wives' rents are paid and kids have jobs and have clothes and shoes for school and buying their books to college. Can I talk to you? Because you can't have a harvest without investing a seed. Can I, can I just talk to us this morning the principle for the godly and the ungodly work because God cannot lie about His Word. So in the midst of it now, we are looking at God stepping in to apprehend demand. My question to you this morning, as we look at Christmas and know that Jesus is the spirit of wisdom, my, my question is, does wisdom dwell in the church today? Does wisdom dwell in the earth today? Have we asked for wisdom? And I have to tell you, Pastor, I had to repent before God because I asked God for a lot of things, but I had to say to God, I don't know the last time I got on my knees and asked for wisdom. But the Bible says this, any man that lack wisdom, come on, let him ask. Can I talk to you? You will not get wisdom without asking. Come on, any man that lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, and God will give it to him unabradingly. That word literally means that God will flourish it or he will pour it upon the situation and the purpose. And when you rise up, your mind will think and process different before you went down on your knees. I don't know about you. I need wisdom today. I need wisdom in my church. I need wisdom with my church leaders. I don't want to see my pastor have a good church. I want us to have a godly church that will put hell on the run and release the kingdom of God. And the atmosphere is changed because we showed up, not just because we built a bigger church and filled pews. No, we infiltrated the city. Come on, it affected businesses and it affected people's lives. And everybody in my street knew I was a Christian. Let me just talk to you. Can I tell you what my definition of wisdom is? I'm going to anyway. <laughs> wisdom is the ability to understand and to discern what to do, how to do it, and when to do it. Wisdom is the ability to understand and to discern what to do, how to do it, and when to do it. Wisdom knows right from wrong and always 
chooses right. Wisdom recognizes wickedness and has nothing to do with it. Now, let me just carry this thing home with you. This is my first closing. I am 66 years old. I will soon be 67. There is an awareness when you become 65, or at least it was with me, that I had achieved most of what would be considered my life. The Bible promises us 70 plus. And so anything after 70 is a gift from God. I said anything after 70 is a gift from God. But when you get 65, you understand that you now are almost peaking to 70, 80. Graciousness of God would be 80. Most people live sometimes 85. But most of your life, 65, means that your strength is gone. It is not what it used to be. What little you have got to achieve has been achieved. You, you find yourself at a landmark. But I want to talk to everyone that is under 60 this morning because if Jesus is really coming, you have already reached your landmark. Because if he is coming, there is no more time allotted to the young than there is allotted to the old. We only have a space of time to do something. And the greatest enemy that I am having to conquer this morning, because I realize Jesus coming, unto you a child is born. That is the gift of salvation. But a son is given. That is a place of maturity. It goes on to call him all of these things, which means that I cannot stay a Christian who just has a baby in my heart. Come on, it just cannot stay there. I just cannot say, well, I'm born again and hallelujah, my family's doing good, my kids are doing good, my finances are doing good. No, it has to grow up. The Bible says that he will become a son. And a son has relationship with the father. Come on, a baby may be able to say, Dad, 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 but he doesn't really recognize who that Dad, Dad is until he becomes a son, and as he matures, he understands that God is one who can provide and protect. Come on, there has to be a relationship, and then the government is upon his shoulders. He has to put some kind of stability and some kind of order in my life. He has to grow up inside of me. In the midst of it this morning, I want us to look at several things because here is what I'm finding. I honestly can look at your pastors this morning and tell you they are not immoral. You should have amen that. I am going to say it again. I can look at your pastors this morning and tell you they are not immoral. And you know why you ought to amen it? Because three-fourths of the places I go through to right now, the pastors are immoral or homosexual, and some of them are your leading ministers on TBN. Can I talk to you this morning? 
Because as long as a person has a gift, we don't want to discern the character. You ought to be happy this morning that you have pastors who have character. Come on, that they have character. You know why? Because you are only what your character is, not what your gift is. Come on, God is not going to judge you on your gift. Come on, he's going to judge you on your character. Oh, it's going to get quiet in here. I can look at your pastors this morning and tell you they are not immoral. Amen. And you know why you ought to amen it? Because three-fourths of the places I go through to right now, the pastors are immoral or homosexual, and some of them are your leading ministers on TBN. Can I talk to you this morning? Because as long as a person has a gift, we don't want to discern the character. You ought to be happy this morning that you have pastors who have character. Come on, that they have character. you know why? Because you are only what your character is, not what your gift is. Amen. Come on, God is not going to judge you on your gift. Amen. Come on, he's going to judge you on your character. Oh, it's going to get quiet in here. I, I don't know who to, who to preach to this morning. Maybe I've come to preach to myself and... You're just having to sit and listen. But part of what I want to say to you this morning is I am fighting an incredible enemy that I did not recognize until I started asking God for wisdom. Because do you understand how subtle the enemies of God are? They will not be uncovered in your life unless wisdom is there. Come on, because, listen, it doesn't take a rocket science to know if you're committing adultery, that's sin. I'm sorry, I still call it sin. I'm fixing to go to Canada and, and the, the Canadian pastors, I'm going to do a pastor's conference up in can, Canada, and they called to warn me, do not say certain things from the pulpit because they have government officials uh, that spy out congregations at random. And if you say different words from the pulpit, you will be arrested and thrown in jail and fined. You cannot say adultery, you cannot say drugs, you cannot say addiction, you cannot say alcohol, you cannot say fornication, you cannot say homosexual. How many of you know, you quit preaching that, you might as well just throw the Bible in the trash can. So I told my son, you better save some money up because you may have to bail me out of jail. He said, Mom, behave. I said, I'm not going to behave. I'm going to preach. Amen. Come on, and there has to be a time when you call sin, sin. And we are not here. Can I talk to you? Church is not a daycare adult center. We are not here to give you Kool-Aid and cookies and make you feel good when you go out the door. Come on, church is where you're confronted with issues so that you can change from glory to glory and be conformed into the image of God and I don't have to look at you week after week stuck in the same place. And you don't have to look at me. You can go, my God, the girl is changing. <laughs> Come on, if you sit in church the same way week after week, something is wrong. Here's the enemy I'm fighting. But I believe it's an enemy that every one of us are going to have to overcome. 
It is called the spirit of compromise. Because there is a spirit of compromise inside the church that we are afraid to call sin, sin. Now we call it attitude or dysfunctional. How many of you know dysfunctional is not a biblical term? It is psychological. Come on, and God does not say, if you confess your dysfunctionalness, <laughs> I will forgive you. But you know why we like dysfunctional? We can blame our attitudes and our action on somebody else. Women now have PMS. You know what PMS is to me? Pretty miserable situation. <laughs> my mother and my grandmother and myself, we grew up, and we did not blame menstrual periods on PMS. Come on, that is just a cop-out for a miserable attitude. Oh, yeah. Now we got women who have PMS, and to me they're like pit bulldogs with lipstick. <laughs> like when it's that time of the month. <laughs> if God gave us that, he gave us the ability to handle it, ladies. Uh, <laughs> I got to get out of this. <laughs> what doctrine you don't believe in, you will end up compromising. There are just certain issues morally that I believe in that I refuse to compromise. I still believe divorce is wrong. I have compassion towards someone who goes through a divorce because sometimes you just cannot work out the situation. But I still believe in the eyes of God that it is a covenant-breaking spirit where two were bound together and now the divorce has pulled and ripped them apart and in the sight of God, God said, I hate divorce. He didn't say, I hate divorcees. He said, I hate divorce because anything that separates covenant that's what I'm based on. Come on, I'm a covenant God. So anything that causes covenant to be broken, I hate it. I believe that when you church hop, come on, you get offended at a pastor or offended at a church member and you go from church to church, that's a covenant-breaking spirit. Come on, there has to come a time where we have to be healed from that so that we can establish covenant. What we don't believe in will compromise. Now we have an attitude when our boys and our girls lose their virginity. It's going to get uncomfortable here this morning. But when they lose their virginity, it's like they look and go, well, Mom, everyone does it. Come on, not everyone. Everyone may do it, but if you're a Christian, you ain't everyone. Come on, we need to teach our children that you can stay pure in your body, whether you are a boy or a girl. My son can tell you when my 
granddaughter was born and they were washing her off in the nursery window. I held her in my arms when they brought her out and I, I took her little hand, I put it up in my hand, I held it and I said, young girls don't have sex before they get married. My daughter was horrified. She said, my godmother, she's two hours old. <laughs> I said, plant the seed early if you want to harvest. When she was four years old and we were in the supermarket, an old man came by. She was red hair and little fat cheeks and he pinched her on the sheet and said, you're cute. She slapped him and said, young girls don't have sex before marriage. He said, what did she say? I said, it's a family thing. I pushed that basket around there. I said, Megan, give me a high five, girl. he was a dirty old man and the spirit of God rose up in her. Come on, I want to talk to you. If you don't plant morals in your children when they are tempted and temptation has laid a snare trap, they won't hear the voice of their mother or father or the voice of the word of God. Do I believe God can forgive you? You bet. Come on, three-fourths of us wouldn't be here. Everybody smiles so nobody will know who it is. <laughs> One honest thing. Solomon had an encounter with God. I am going to close. Solomon had an encounter with God that imputed to him in a dream wisdom. And yet, you know what's scary about him? He built a temple. You know God was involved because God filled it with glory. Had God not approved of what Solomon built... He was not obligated to fill with glory. If God isn't building your life, he's not, he's not obligated to fill you with glory. Can I talk to you? He's obligated to save you. Come on. If, if you've asked God into your heart, you're going to be saved. But not filled with glory if he's not building. Because God fills what he builds. Wow. So in the midst of it, Solomon had such an incredible encounter with God. The Bible says that God said to him, because you've not asked of yourself. I'm going to not only give you wisdom, but listen, I'm going to give you riches that no man has ever had. Is that not a principle? When you seek the kingdom of God, he'll give you the rest of the stuff. Come on, but we've raised a church up to seek the stuff. And we hope through the stuff we'll get him. He had riches. He had military army. He never went to war, but he was not victorious. Why? Because God was with him. But at the end of his life, it was a tragedy. See, it's not just beginning. It's how you finish. Come on. I was saved at nine years old. I was Baptist. You've got to love me. I got saved on so many occasions. I, did, I, I lost count of them. Because Baptists didn't know anything but to be born again. And every time I'd come under conviction, I'd run back down there to get born again. This morning, a son has been given to us. That's what Isaiah said. Salvation has come to you and I. But at the end of Solomon's life, he literally is sacrificing children on a high place. 
How can you see the glory of God and God say, there's been no man before you or after you that will have this kind of wisdom and grant to you the blessings and the riches and the victories and end up in a high place sacrificing to false gods. How can you start in glory and end up in shame? See, that is my dilemma, Pastor Allen. I have to tell you, in traveling around, when I see men who have started out in such glory and end up in shame. I could call some of them by name that you know openly. Bob Tilton grieves my heart because I knew Bob Tilton when he came to the Dallas area. Just a handful of little people that would go down to the inner city and feed people, have compassion for the poor. And Bob goes through three divorces, end up with just shambles and his ministry and, and the church is no longer there. I don't know about you, but listen, every time I walk past that place or drive past it, it grieves my spirit to think a man could start with God and end up in shame. I know Larry Lee personally. I knew Larry when he was a young boy full of the vigor and the zeal of God in his heart and a passion for God and, and a passion for young people and end up in divorce and end up marrying another one. That, I don't know about you, but that grieves me. How do you get to a place where covenant with your wife is not important anymore? I don't, I don't know what pushed you to that place where covenant with a brother and sister isn't important. You can abuse them and misuse them and lie and, 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 and get up in the pool. But how can you be a homosexual that I'm looking at a ministry right now that has, has all kinds of accusations against it and all kinds of accounts and suit charges that are fixing to come out and the body of Christ is going to be shot shocked and shell-shocked when you hear the name and I'm thinking how can you have a wife and children and stand up in your pulpit walk out and have a homosexual affair how can you do that and I want to tell you how you can do it your conscience gets so seared you can't tell right from wrong why it's so scary when parents won't discipline their children when they're caught in a lie because what happens is that when you don't discipline them and you don't confront them and make them understand that it sears their conscience and now they've got by with a lie and one lie leads to another lie and another lie leads to another lie and pretty soon they become deceivers and their whole conscience is seared. Paul admonished the church, be careful that you don't have your conscience. What's he saying? That you just won't let God deal with you when he says that's wrong. Because if you won't let God deal with you when he says that's wrong and you keep doing it and you got by with it so you think God doesn't really look at it that bad. Your conscience gets sick. Compromise. Let me tell you the dilemma of Solomon. And then I'm going to close. This is my third class. <laughs> I keep counting up. They mean absolutely nothing. But anyway, <laughs> let me just tell you how he got there. God told him, don't go to Egypt and do business. Solomon went down to Egypt, bought one horse, brought an Egyptian woman back with him, and married her. 
I don't know about you, that just seems so insignificant. A horse. What's the big deal about one horse? But compromise always starts with a little issue that doesn't look bad because everyone else does it. He brought the woman back. He brought the horse back. If you go through the Bible, you will find out this woman that he brought back is the woman who demanded that Solomon not tear down the high place where she worshipped. And that woman influenced her husband to murder babies and to worship on the high place with her. Can I talk to you men this morning? It is important who you marry because women have influence over you. Come on, it's a biblical principle that Eve influenced Adam. Come on, ladies, we've got to realize that we can influence men right or wrong, godly or ungodly. It's important. And that one woman influenced Solomon to end up his life in total disaster. Listen to me this morning. Cain compromised. Remember Abel and Cain in the Bible when God said, don't bring me the till of the land, bring me the, the, the lamb. You, you, bring an, you bring an animal, you slew it, let me see the blood and sacrifice it. Why? Because true worship is never a worship of giving until you give something to God that you can't get back. Come on, we have taught the church every time you give an offering, you're going to get something back. That's not true worshipers. Come on, true worshipers will sacrifice something that I know if I give this, I can't get it back. But God's worthy enough to demand everything from me. Cain took the till of the land. Why? Because you can always grow back what you can produce from your own hand. Come on, God was dissatisfied. And it was a spirit of compromise. Let, let, let me just walk you just a couple of minutes more. Lot. Lot chose Sodom. Abraham stood there and said, Lot, which part do you want? Whatever you want, you go that way, I'll go this way. And Lot looked at Sodom that was green and grassy and it looked so much better than the desert that was behind him. So he chose Lot. But let me ask you this. How can a man, Gary, because you have daughters, how can a man live in a city so long that when homosexuals come pounding at their door, he is willing to sacrifice his daughter? Come on, he was willing to sacrifice his daughter. Can I talk to you, parents? How can you be willing to sexually sacrifice your children and not put your foot down and say, no, you're not going out of this house. No, if I had to sit on you, I don't care if you tell me you're going to call the police. You can just call 911. You can call whatever you want. But God's going to see me sitting on you. How can you get to the place where you will sacrifice your children? And you know what the Bible calls Lot? A righteous man. How can you be righteous and give up your virgin daughters to homosexuals that are pounding on the door? Can I tell you this? You can live in the world system so long that the approval of the system is more important to parents than the purity of their children. 
Pastor will straighten this all out when I leave. I just, I, I just hope, you know, he'll get grace enough to forget it and invite me back. But listen to me. We have parents that will invest in, teen, uh, in cheerleading, soccer, football, but yet if you want a Wednesday night service, your kids are too tired. Come on, won't invest two hours on Wednesday night for your children to sit under the Word of God, but will go on football teams and soccer teams and cheerleading teams and basketball teams and invest all kinds of money and some, some of the investments are astronomical and never think one minute about it because popularity of the world system is more important than favor in God's kingdom. Come on, it's a spirit of compromise. Church, I'm talking to you. I have a son here with me. Listen, all my kids were raised in church people. And they carried their homework to church. And they got their homework on the floor. And if they were tired, they could go to sleep, but they were sleeping in the house of the Lord. <laughs> but I let them know that God's kingdom was important. Now we make all kinds of excuses why we cannot be in church. I'm telling you, it's the subtleness of compromise because if you can't get committed on Wednesday night, when pressure comes, you won't stay committed. I'm uncovering our enemies to us this morning. You cannot fight an enemy that you do not uncover. Let me go one more. Abraham. Dear old father Abraham. A liar. He would rather call his wife his sister and save his neck. You don't think it cost him something? Follow Abraham's life when he lied about his wife. Said, this is my sister. He lays with Hagar. Because if you can lie about pure relationship, you'll lay with anything. Now he's laying with Hagar and produces an Ishmael and wants God to bless it. And God made him get, get an old man before he got his Isaac. Come on, because God will just wear you out so that you're too tired to get in bed with everything. <laughs> and Sarah laughed when they got in bed together. I'd have laughed too. <laughs> oh, wrinkled up Abraham, 100 years old, crawling in bed, singing tonight's the night. Viagra hadn't even been invented. <laughs> but God wanted to teach Abraham, I don't need your strength. When I'm ready to conceive, I'll give you a supernatural strength. But he waited all those years and then was so old, he hardly lived long enough to enjoy the fulfillment of the promise. David, you don't think David compromised? David should have been at war, but he looked outside his window and saw Bathsheba. 
Don't be down on Bathsheba. Bathsheba was watering in the waters of purification. The Bible said that when a woman stopped her flow of blood, she was to get in the waters of purification and, and bathe herself and present herself before the priest before she could be clean to have relationships with her husband. But he looked out the window and saw her bathing in the waters of purification and sent for her. We just read that very casually, but listen, he will answer for that and not just for the immorality of laying with another man's wife. He will answer for that because he abused his authority because Bathsheba had to submit to kingly authority. Come on. I'm telling you, there's a day of reckoning when men stand behind the pulpit and use their authority to seduce women in the church. Come on. They're going to answer for it. They can confess lust all they want to. You don't think David compromised? Because when you don't recognize it, then he sent for Bathsheba's husband and tried to get her to lay there. He came because he was under authority of David. And when he summoned him off the battlefield, he immediately came to the king and he said, go lay with your wife. And he wouldn't do it because he thought of his men. David abused his authority again, put him on the front row to make sure he was killed along with his other men. You can abuse authority and people be submitted to you. And David never lost his position because the Bible said he repented. But I'm going to tell you what, you can have a position and not enjoy it. David's crying at the end of his life, Absalom, my son. Because his son learned a bad lesson from his daddy. He learned to be in authority but not submit. I look at Pilate that washed his hands when Jesus came as though you could wash away your guilt that you were not strong enough to execute justice. I, I, I look at Peter that lied at the campfire and said, I don't know him. It takes moral, moral courage to understand what Isaiah is saying here. A child will be born that will give you salvation. A son will be given that will bring righteousness. The government will come that will bring order. His name will bring relationship. His wonderful counsel will bring your wisdom. His mighty God will cause you to fight battles and have victories. Eternal Father will provide and protect for you. And Prince of Peace will be your portion that will rest upon. This is my clothes as the musicians come. Nine eleven was probably the most horrifying, shaken moment that our nation has known in a long time. I can tell you where I was. I can tell you what God prophesied through me. I can tell you who I was with. Several things I want you and I to see this morning. It caught us unaware. It caught us unprepared. And it caught us in a place where we did not know what to do. 
We are now looking at Katrina. Unaware, unprepared, and don't know what to do. Because you can put people in new homes and you feed people in clothes. But if their life is not transformed, you just dress to death. Because real change comes from an encounter with God. Now we're having all kinds of social issues in the Dallas Metroplex area. An 86-year-old woman strangled to death by three Katrina victims who stole all of her goods out of her house and stole her car and strangled her. Looting and robbing in our area of an encampment where they put over 200 victims in there. Over 600 sex offenders that are registered are in our city. These are just the registered ones. We got the dread. And yet we're going to feed them and we're going to house them, but it'll never change and transform their lives. Am I saying that we don't reach out to the needy? No. But I'm saying when the church reaches out to fill a belly but doesn't know how to fill a heart, they'll never be transformed. We are looking at Solomon's life this morning because I believe that God has a call upon this life. We're looking at the words of Isaiah who comes and says, don't stop with the sun, but end up where peace lies. Why? Because he whose mind is stayed on God will reign in perfect peace. I don't know about you, but I'm being challenged right now with where I am and some of the issues that are going on in my family of the enemy coming to rob my peace. And we need peace to keep And I found out you cannot give to someone what you do not have. Come on, if I don't have peace, it is hard for me to turn around to someone and say, your answer is peace, the Prince of Peace. I believe there's a call prophetically upon this church. I believe that this church is yet to tap in to the fullness of what God is really trying to say prophetically to this house. I believe it's going to call for the involvement of people refusing to become church members and become kingdom changers. Let me quickly tell you that when Joseph was put in captivity, what God allowed the enemy to do through the process was to try to rob him of his hope because if you lose your hope, you will not dream. Come on, you have to have hope to dream. Ask someone who has gone through a divorce what they feel like at that moment. They may express it in different words, but the hope has been sucked out. The dream that they had has been totally sucked because faith is the evidence of things hoped for. You can't have faith without hope. Hope. You cannot dream without hope. But I'm here this morning to tell you that God wants to activate dreams in this house. Come on, that you dream that you're family's going to be different. Your kids are going to be different. Your finances are going to be different. Your church is going to be different. Your community is going to be different. 
because the son has come. And not only has he come, but the child was born. And he brought the son and he brought the government and he brought the counselor. His counsel is wonderful. He brought a mighty God who will give victory because in that statement it declares that the Prince of Peace is everything I have need And I refuse to leave this world without a dream. Son, you got to dream it. You got to dream it. You got to dream it. You can't settle for this. This is good, but you got to dream big. God wants to put a dream in our heart. And I found out that the enemy came to see if he could rob Joseph of his dream. You know why? Because his dream was at the end. That family would be put together. And had Joseph lost his dream, the real spirit of who Christ was would have never come in Joseph's life. And that was to reconcile people back to him. I'm going to dream. I don't care if anybody in my church doesn't dream. I'm going to dream. I'm going to dream big. I'm going to dream big for my kids. I'm going to dream big for my grandkids. I'm going to dream big for my pastor. I'm going to dream big for, for, for the people that are in my congregation. If they can't dream, I'm going to dream for them. And I'm going to bug them until they believe that a dream can come true. And this morning, Isaiah prophesied before Jesus came. And if I could put it in layman terms for you this morning, I would put it this way. Isaiah said, This is the dream of my father. You want to know what his dream is this morning? He'd send a child and a son and a counselor and governor. And he would bring peace and reconciliation. You want to know what my father was thinking about when he sent his son right here? He'll tell you in the book. A young woman came to my class one day, sat down in front of me and said, Would you pray? I looked at her and said, What is your name? She smiled with a grin. Said, My name's Lulu. I need Lord to come in. Lulu and I that morning got down on our knees to pray. She began to uncover so many hurts and unusual things. But in the midst of it, I saw her struggle and pain. I saw the tears that had given her no gain. I laid my hands upon her head that day, and I said, Lou, Let's believe together. Let's always pray that God can do the impossible and give you a new dream and set you free. And Lou fell to her knees and began to believe. Divorce came, tragedy and pain, problems with her children seemed to be no gain. But in the end, as he crushed out the broken parts of her life indeed, I saw God put together and be true to his promise and bring gain to this woman who had such pain. Now, my friend, 
is singing a song. People believe it's a talent all along. But I hear the strings across the heart that declared, when I was bound, he set me free. When no one believed, he believed in me. No one looks at that woman like I do. Because that woman was my dream. Through everything in her life that just could not let go of a dream. You've got this Christmas to believe that the greatest gift that we sang about was our Father's dream of us. And you've got to look at someone and refuse to not dream. You've got to look at them past the circumstance and the pain and the hurt and dream. Because Jesus can do the impossible. At the end of my life, I just want to look at Alan and his wife and say, God, let me dream big. Don't let me let them be satisfied with God. Let me dream big on this This morning, before we leave, I believe that God wants to put hope back in our dreams. I believe that God wants to come and make us understand that don't just let a child come to you. Don't let just a son. Don't just let a counselor, don't just let government, let mighty God, eternal Father, peace. Because listen to me, beloved, this year our nation is going to be challenged for peace. Kenneth Hagin, who was one of the most granddaddies of faith, who prophesied so positive about everything, the last prophecy he gave before he died, he said 2005 would be the year of blessing upon God's people and the last visitation for them to get their lives in order. And 2006, the judgment of the Lord was going to fall on them. I want to tell you, just because we don't believe in judgment, it will not hold it back. Because a just God will come and declare for you. Let God put hope in your life. Let him put a dream in your life. Let him finish what he needs to begin. Let him finish what he started and be ready to stand and not compromise. That's my gift to you, that the wisdom of the Lord would overtake you and that you would refuse to compromise and that you would hold strong to the Word of God. If that's your cry, I want you to lift your hands up to the Lord just for a moment. Father, as we lift our hands, it is not a religious gesture. God, as we lift our hands, it's not because we're spirit-filled or charismatic or full gospel. But God, we lift our hands because we surrender to you and we cry out that we need an impartation of your wisdom. Without your wisdom, God, our life will not change. Without your wisdom, nothing will happen without your wisdom, God. And so, Lord, I'm asking you to record every name where hands are lifted. God, wherever there's a hand lifted, would you record their name? And would you, God, according to your word, as we ask for wisdom, give it to us in a measure and degree that we have need of, not only to live our lives, but to declare who you are in our lives. Father, take note. Now, Lord, we put our hands over our chest this morning. 
and we say we receive that wisdom God we not only ask for it but we receive it God we ask you to infiltrate our heart God because out of the abundance of our mouth the heart speaketh and so God would you fill our hearts with wisdom would you fill young people's hearts with wisdom would you fill children's hearts with wisdom would you fill single parents hearts with wisdom would you fill married couples hearts with wisdom would you fill mothers and fathers here this morning with wisdom would you fill church leaders with wisdom would you fill single people with wisdom would you fill believers with wisdom oh god let the wisdom of the lord come upon us oh god so that lord the world will look at us and see the wisdom of our god that rules over us and keeps us and provides for us and blesses us and protects us in this hour and now lord we extend our hands in front of us and we say freely as we have received god let these hands go out and touch a generation that needs to know the wisdom of god and the peace of god let these hands touch at this christmas season what we have declared us a child has been born let us witness to someone god that god you have come to save and seek that which is lost let a child come oh father let a relationship be built in people's lives let a wonderful counselor a mighty god an eternal father god oh lord let government rest upon the shoulders of people oh lord let us touch lives and declare who you are let peace fill their mind oh god let them know when we touch them with these hands oh god they have come in contact with heaven father we thank you for that this morning we praise you for that lord would you transform us would you change us from glory to glory lord to where we are not satisfied with where we are or where we have been but where we are going father i ask for you to put a christmas blessing upon us because christmas means christ 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 i don't care if they say happy holiday it is not a holiday it is a celebration that christ has been the greatest gift that has come into the world god may we look at people and be unashamed to say merry christmas christ has come the gift of all hope of glory father i thank you for that this morning we praise you god let your blessings fill the atmosphere of this church prosper them oh god meet every financial blessing god meet every need of every family every believer every project they have everything that you birthed in their heart to do let them do it exceedingly abundantly and far above all that they've ever dreamed or hoped of we thank you for that father in jesus name in jesus name in jesus name in jesus name before pastor comes, would you just turn around to someone that's close to you and tell them i believe that wisdom will be your portion. Could you tell someone that before Pastor comes?